Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into a passage from the New Testament book of Ephesians, but before we do, Eric, um, do, do we have anything that we need to discuss? We do. We, we have... I'm, I'm sensing some tension. We, we have to... There has to be some reconciliation. There has to be some... Uh, some relationships rebuilt, and some sorries to be said. Okay. So uh, several episodes ago, I used the word piddle, and I was, uh, I don't want to say I was mocked, but I was, uh, I was told that I was using the word wrong, that piddle means to urinate, and I was using it to talk about wasting time and dawdling. And our producer... Googled the definition of the word and held it up, and it only said one thing, to urinate or the act of urinating. So I just figured I've been wrong my whole life. And then in the next episode, Nikki brought it back up, and I was, uh, <laughs> I was uh, corrected again. There was a little bit of laughter, but here's what happened. My mother is an avid listener of this podcast in Southern <laughs> Delaware. <laughs> And she texted me one day and said, all right, the first episode they brought it up, I let it go. This tells you a little bit of the makeup of my family. I let it go. <laughs> and she said, but when they brought it up again the next episode, I just wanted to tell you, son, look up the definition of the word piddle in the dictionary. So I did. And in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the first definition oh of the word piddle is to dawdle or to putter. The second definition of the word, more informal is to urinate. So use of the word piddle. So, you piddle around. You piddle away time. This is an accurate use of the word piddle. I just want to set the record straight, and I would love to hear, Nikki and Clayton, what you have to say. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> mom? Sorry, Eric. Sorry, Mom. We sorry, don't, Mom. Hey, sorry, Eric. Yeah, we don't, we don't want to make fun of anybody's kid. Um, but it's interesting that, that your mom came to your defense because my mom came to your defense. Yes, so th this is a, this is mom. an actual text message from my mom after she listened to that episode because she also is an avid listener. Our, our mothers are our biggest fans here. Uh, but she said, just listen to the podcast. And just so you know, I often say, I fiddle farted and piddled around today, meaning I did nothing useful. Said it my whole life. Hope this makes Eric not feel so alone or crazy. So, That's awesome. So there you, you go. Mom. Although the fact that she included the word farted around yeah. doesn't doesn't really like fiddle farted fiddle, and piddled fiddle, around. Fiddle farted and piddled around. That sounds like something a mom would say. <laughs> Thank you, Clayton's mom. Thank you, my mom. Mm -hmm. Thank I you, Merriam Webster. I just love the fact. No, that thank you to our producer. <laughs> who, no, who we sent, love our who producer sent us, who sent us down a really bad road for weeks. I just love the fact that your mom said she was going to let it go. Yeah, like them's hey, fighting words right hey, there. We right? are a Jersey. We are a Jersey right? family. Right. If you mess with someone in the family, you mess with the whole family. Yeah, and she's just like, mm -mm, I'm. I'm not going to let that happen to my baby. Oh, uh, the producer is going to pop in and say my apologies to the entire Ferris family. Wow. <laughs> oh, there we wow. go. I feel good now. Mm. Okay. Well, you know, our job isn't really to bring clarity to the word piddle. Our job is to bring clarity to the Bible. So we are in Ephesians chapter two today, the New Testament. Yay. We, right. We're bouncing back in the reading plan between Ephesians and Deuteronomy. And we are in Ephesians chapter two today, verses 11 through 22. 
And so we always start comma method with the C, which is context. And so just, um, these are really more of uh, contextual reading tips today than we are gonna give some uh, cultural or historical context. When you are using a Bible reading plan, uh, sometimes where you stop is just a stopping point based on how much reading you wanna do every day. Um, it's not necessarily the best place to stop in terms of flow of thought, but you have to stop at some point, right? Especially if you're doing the comma method. And so if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses, uh, starting with verse 11 today, you will see that it starts with the word, therefore. And one of the things that people that teach the Bible a lot will tell you is, whenever you see the word, therefore, you should ask, what, Clayton? What's it there for? There you go. So it's a connecting word, right? Which means I'm about to say something, and what I'm about to say is in light of everything that I just said. And so sometimes reading in context, especially when you're using a daily Bible reading plan, is sometimes you need to take a step back and go back and read some of what you read yesterday to get back in the flow of thought, and then you pick up where that day's reading begins. There is another connecting word in our text today, which is verse 19, it's, the word is consequently. So we're going to start with a therefore. So I just said some stuff, therefore, these conclusions, and then verse 19 is consequently. So now here is the outworking of this or the results of this. So these are this is one, one flow of thought in Ephesians chapter 2, all right? So uh, those are just some reading tips based on context today more than, more than culture or history. So here we go. Clayton's going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you are separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Woof. That's a mouthful. There's a lot going on there. <laughs> All right. So here we go. The O and comma method. Observation. What do we see? I saw a bunch of Old Testament references. So we've been you know, reading a lot of the Old Testament this year, and uh, I see things that point back to stuff that I remember, even from some of the things we've read, the circumcision. We read the story of Abraham you know, in the fall here, and... Uh, the covenant, and uh, there's a reference to the temple, which we've we've read about the tabernacle, and uh, some of these things. There's there's a lot of things going on here that point back to Old Testament things. Yeah, I I was noticing too, like um, this. I 
talking about like the different covenants, you know, like it, it mentions the, the covenant of the promise and that's that covenant that God created with Abraham, right? Like with the people of Israel. Um, but then we actually see like this glimpse of this new covenant that was created through Jesus, death on the cross. So that's, that's pretty cool there. I've heard it said, I think it, uh, the people who popularized this were like the Bible Project people. They talk about sometimes these these words or phrases that come from the Old Testament, they're like hyper hyperlinks, you know? Like it's like you, you say it and, it and it evokes like a whole big set of ideas that if you've been reading the Bible a lot, you've got those kind of like ready to mind. Like it might be a short phrase, but there's a lot packed in there. So if you're someone who is Jewish and you've been, and you're reading this and you see something about circumcision or something about the covenants, all of a sudden, all of these stories and all of these things are are there for you, even though it's just one little word that's evoked there. I see a lot of two things becoming one, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the uncircumcised and the circumcision, which are becoming one. Uh, where else does it say? Uh, just destroying the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations to create for himself one new humanity out of two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think it says it one one more place. I'm scrolling down on my screen. Uh, uh, for, v- verse, 18. verse 18. Yeah, through him we both have access to Father by one Spirit. So two things, having access to God, uh, done by, made possible by the, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Uh, it's just uh, two, thing, two things becoming one. There's, there's a connection going on here. What else do we see? Uh, seems like there is uh, kind of a before and after. So right at the very beginning, it's, it says remember a couple of times. So you're looking back. So um, Paul is writing to a group of people who at one point were not followers of Jesus, and they weren't Jewish either. So they're Gentiles. So they used to be just, you know, the Ephesus is not like in Israel somewhere. It's not anywhere close. So they've just been living their normal kind of, you know, Ephesian life, you know, what, it, what, what it's like in their society. But something has happened. So they've come to faith in Christ, and he's contrasting their state before that and after. And so they're, they're, um, even that consequently we talked about, like, you know, now you're something different. As a result of this, you're something different. So there's a before and after here. Yeah, the word, the word therefore that we started this with in verse 11, uh, when you ask what's the therefore, therefore, verses 1 through 12, or 1 through 10, a um, little bit of trivia here in Greek, it's all one sentence. Greek, Greek is great for what we consider run-on sentences. So there's this, one, there's this one massive thought going on with a ton of details, which is essentially this. He, Paul is describing to these uh, Gentile now believers in Christ, so these non-Jewish people who have come to faith in Jesus and they're now Christ followers, in verses 1 through 10, he's describing to them their moral condition before God, before they came to faith in Jesus. And then you get the therefore... And by the way, none of it's good, right? Like the moral condition without God and God's forgiveness is not good. Then you get the therefore, um, which which works it all out. So those of you who are, you are not part of the people of God. You have not been a part of this story. Now you are becoming a part of the story. And and, And it's no longer like Jewish and Gentile. You're all becoming part of one story, one thing that that God is doing. And this was a big deal for the Jews to hear that, right? Because, like, this was their promise. This was their God. And a lot of Jews back then didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear 
that there was this whole other group that was not necessarily born into the promise, but actually being invited into the promise by putting their faith in what Jesus has done, his life, his death, his resurrection. And that was a big thing for Paul to make that statement, to say, no, actually, they're a part of God's family too, just like you are. This promise doesn't just exist for you now, it also exists for everybody. Yeah, this was a, this is a pretty strong thing for them, because they had spent most of their history um, either either uh, being so like connected with the, the nations around them that it was causing them to compromise, or being persecuted and attacked by the nations around them that they said, no, we've got we've to be separate and distinct. So, you know, if you're in Israel, even at the, the time that this is written, the Romans have taken over. So they're thinking, like, we, we don't want, we don't like these folks. Like, this is, these are not people, and we've got to be distinct from them. So for Paul to come along and say, actually, they're, they have just as much access to God, all of the privileges that you've enjoyed is theirs. That's a huge deal. You can even see some of the, um, like, in the language of the, the opening paragraph, some there's almost name calling like it's weird name calling like it's not name calling we would use but it's you are called uncircumcised by those who are called circumcised and and the idea there is we've got this privileged sort of you know status and we're looking down on you because you aren't part of that that group so they've taken something um, that marked them off as belonging to God and actually used it as something to sort of uh, show that they were superior or or uh, privileged compared to the, the the Gentiles around them. Um, I actually think that's kind of ironic because um, the the symbol of circumcision, which is a super weird one when we run across it, because you're always like, uh, this makes me feel uncomfortable. Um, the symbolism of that is it's a symbolic castration. I know it's weird to talk about, but the whole point was at the very beginning, they were supposed to say, our power, our our potency, our our ability to have a future is not from us. It, it's from God. And so to turn that around and say, this is actually a reason we're better than people around us uh, is very ironic because it's the opposite of what that symbol should actually mean. Can you imagine that for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people have been coached and commanded by God to not compromise, to not, to not start worshiping the other false gods around them, to not uh, adapt and adopt the customs of the societies around them, but to be distinct, to be different, to be separate as the people of God. And then one day you're told, and now all of those people are allowed in. Like, the, I, I can't even imagine how to even accommodate all of that in your mind and heart and do it well. Yeah. Well, well I mean, isn't, it, isn't that too, like, I feel like that's why we see the the word repeated peace a lot is because like what kind of a feeling did that like you know bring about in them like frustration hostility you know like what confusion what do you mean like what does that mean now so you have the jewish side of it Mm -hmm. of all of a sudden being you're being the, the jews are being coached in the new testament on how to allow the Gentiles in and there be unity and love and how, how this all has been the plan from the very beginning. So they're kind of being retaught their story because from the very beginning, remember, they were told, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to all nations. What, it started, what they started to think was you're blessing us to bless us, right? So this is now the point of the story where the blessing to all nations is coming in. Uh, but so you have the Jewish people who need to be coached. But you also have the Gentiles who need to understand 
that this is not something new. This is the next chapter in a story that has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so it's not just make it up as you go. They need to appreciate what they are being invited into through the cross of Jesus. Yeah, it's it, the, the beginning, it's addressing the Gentiles, saying, hey, remember this. Remember what you were and, and who you are now. And even, even all of the facts that, the, uh, the fact that it's using all of these Old Testament references is attaching to them these, all of these stories, all of these things, saying you, these belong to you now, but you need to identify with them. So you're going to say, you're, you're like the temple, and they're going to say, well, okay, let's back up and tell me the story of the temple. What's the significance of that? Where does that come from? What does it mean that we're citizens of this nation of Israel, this kingdom? You know what? Like all of those things are going to redefine how they see themselves and 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 how they're going to relate to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. But one thing that I I uh, think about here, so there's a uh, a part of this, like you could read this passage and be tempted to think, okay, so the difference between Jews and Gentiles just kind of goes away; it kind of gets flattened out. Um, you know, almost like, you know, it doesn't matter what culture, ba- cultural background you came from, wherever it is, it, it all kind of goes away when you step in. What I think is interesting, though, is that the reason this passage needs to be there is to address the fact that people coming from different cultural backgrounds are coming into one community, and they need to be coached on how to relate to each other because they're different, not because all of that goes away, but because they've got to actually be together and be at peace with each other, even though they're coming from different places. Like you look all throughout the, the New Testament, and this is this is the challenge. Do, do the Gentiles need to become you know culturally Jewish? Do the, the Jews need to give up their culture? Like how do we do this? And they're, they're, it's trying to say there's a basis beyond just you becoming like me or me becoming like you for us to have peace. And it's it's Jesus. It's not our, our cultural you know traditions and so on. Right, which you see a lot in the New Testament with, with a lot of the instructing about whether or not Gentiles need to engage in the Jewish festivals or the Jewish feasts, um, how the Jew should think about the Gentile who is not, and the fact that it's okay for the Jew to do it, and it's okay for the Gentile to not do it. And so there's an awful lot of coaching in the, in the New Testament in, in reference to diversity and that there can be unity in diversity, and unity in diversity is not the same thing as uniformity, right? So that's a lot of what we struggle with today, is I, I can be a, a follower of Jesus and have a certain culture, a certain way my family system works. Uh, there, there are certainly ethics to the kingdom of God that we all need to embrace. Jesus has taught us how to live uh, in his kingdom, uh, but there can be an awful lot of diversity in a lot of things, and there still be abundant unity because our unity is not found in our culture. Our unity is found in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, right? And so there's just a, the, the more your eyes open to how much coaching is going on in this category in the New Testament, you can't unsee it anymore. So the, the analogy that I have heard used is, uh, when you buy a new car, whether it's a new car or a used car, whatever kind of car you're driving, all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere on the road. You didn't notice it until you yourself were driving that car. It, I think it's the same way in the New Testament when you start seeing how much there is in the New Testament about unity and diversity. Yeah, I I I, I remember when someone pointed that out to me. I had that exact same experience of, of looking at all this. I would be reading things that I had read hundreds of times, you know what I mean? Like the passages are very familiar, 
And all of a sudden it was jumping off the page. Oh, there are two different cultural groups here. You know, the book of Acts, stories that I just thought were about whatever, you know, sharing the gospel. You realize, oh, there's Jews and there's Gentiles. It's a cultural thing. The book of Romans, the book of Galatians, like it's in the, it's in the subtext of a lot of it. And, and until it's pointed out, you don't realize, oh, like if you were in the church that this was written to, the thing that everybody would have been worked up about is how, those other people are doing it this way. Those other people are doing it that way. And this was very practical to them to say, okay, what is it that we actually center around? I mean, it's it, it, we feel sometimes like this is a modern issue, like, oh, people suddenly discovered that this was something important, but it's been 2,000 years uh, that this has been something that the church has had to address. So it's probably a bit of an oversimplification to say this, but in Galatians, it's like the Gentiles are being told, don't let the Jewish people convince you that you have to be Jewish. And in Romans, it's flipped, right, where a lot of the coaching is, uh, hey, Gentiles, stop looking down on the Jewish people. Yeah. So there's there's uh, there's so much coaching, and now I hope that uh, as we're even saying this, that you all are going to start seeing the make and model of car you drive all the time on the road. <laughs> and I hope whenever you're reading the New Testament that you see just how much uh, unity in diversity is a part of the New Testament. Because when God made His promise to Abraham that He was going to bless. Uh, Abraham's family, they become a great nation so that they could be a blessing to all nations. It has been the plan from the very beginning that all people from all cultures could come to know the one true God and experience reconciliation both with God and with each other, which is why we have, uh, you know, talks about the, the dividing wall of hostility being broken down, how we can have peace with one another. It's so beautiful. One thing I, 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 I saw in here, a question that came to my mind as we were reading, and it's a question that I think maybe some people might get, or it's a statement that I think people might, you know, get confused by, is verse 15, it says that, uh, it's talking about Jesus, it says, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And verse 15 says, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So since we've been reading a lot about the Old Testament, we hear about the law being the Old Testament, God's commands, the regulations that he set forth for Israel and all this stuff. Does that mean that because Jesus came and did what he did, that it's not relevant anymore for us today? Like, I think people might be asking that question. Yeah, and it's a really important question. In fact, it was a question they were asking in the New Testament. Like, there, there's a reason comments about the law come up over and over again as we, we read these things. Um, and it, it helps sometimes to realize that there's lots of different contexts where the question of what do you do with the Old Testament comes up, and different answers, like, or different uh, sides of the answer um, matter more in different contexts. So... Uh, in, in a context like Jesus, when he's teaching about it, there's a whole bunch of people who are saying, are you just going to toss all this out? Are you changing everything? So he says, well, actually, not one letter of the law, not one little stroke of the pen is going to pass away. I'm not throwing any of this out. I'm actually fulfilling it. I'm, I'm bringing it to its, its purpose. Uh, in other places where you know, Paul is writing to someone who's saying, if you don't follow all of these laws exactly the way you know, the, the Israelites did in the past, then you have abandoned stuff. And he's saying, well, actually, no, some things have changed with Jesus. He you know, sounds stronger against the law. So there's kind of, there's kind of two sides of this. Uh, but in this case, it seems to me like, all, given the context of the division between these two groups, 
that it's saying there are certain laws that God gave, and we 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 we've talked about this in the, the kind of these Old Testament laws. Some of these are to mark the people of God as different. So things like you can't eat pigs, <laughs> you can't you know uh, you can't do certain you know kinds of you know uh, cloth and fabric, and you've got all these things that are uh, kind of markers of distinctiveness. And in the New Testament, we see conversations where they say, okay, so if the Gentiles are allowed to come to faith in Christ and be a part of the people, does that mean they need to start doing all of those things? And and Jesus and the apostles, they make clear that um, those kind of marking Israel off as distinct, those laws have been completed. They've come to their, their full end, um, and they, they don't need to be followed. So all foods are declared clean and things like this. Um, and they, they have a whole council that says not everybody needs to be circumcised. So there's, there's these things that they're clarifying. We, they've run their course. They've, they've served their purpose. They were good. Now they've been fulfilled, and they don't need to be applied to the Gentiles. And so I think this phrase is saying all of those laws, all of those regulations, now that the Messiah has arrived, We've gotten to a, a kind of a new phase where those have been completed, and things get transformed on the other side of that, so that those cultural markers no longer are the the block between these two groups. Oh, you've got to do it this way. You've got to do it that way. Oh, God says <laughs> you need to do it this way. Well, God is no longer saying those things. He's saying that's been completed. Uh, therefore, that barrier isn't there. What makes it confusing too is it's not like God changed His mind. Right, so there are. It's not like if you read the Ten Commandments and God says don't murder, that all of a sudden He says, "Oh, wait a minute, I changed my mind. Murder's okay now." Like it's that. That's not what's going on. The the very values and things that God cared about that the laws were implemented to teach are still the very things that God cares about. It's it's just that the law is not is not effective to make those things happen. They're, they're there to show you the ideal and to tell you this is the boundary. Uh, but if you think about it this way, when, when, when you come to faith in Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you, the Holy Spirit is going to coach you towards a lot of the very things that God was telling you he's always cared about in the Old Testament. Uh, to uh, act justly and love mercy. And there's just so, there's so many examples I can give, but it's not, it's not that God changes mind. It's just that what the law was for is no longer needed because now you have the Spirit of God. There's a, there's a metaphor that, uh, or an, an analogy that Paul uses in the book of Galatians where he says the law in a lot of ways was like a tutor. So like when, when a, a child is growing up and they're going to you know, take responsibility for their, you know, their family business or their household or whatever when they're an adult... Um, they, they, they have a tutor when they're younger. They have a teacher that's showing them, like, here's how to be an adult. Here's how to do all this. And the, that tutor is instructing them very directly, like, here, here's, do this, do this, do this. But at some point, they learn how to do it, and it's kind of internalized. You know what I mean? Like, a, a, a new phase comes where they no longer need that tutor saying, you know, you think about uh, if you learn how to drive a car. At, at some point, you've got a parent or an instructor sitting in the, the passenger seat saying, okay turn on your turn signal, pay attention to this. They're watching over your shoulder doing this. But at some point you get your driver's license. You still have to do the same things. You still have to drive well, but the particular like reminders and, and, and prompts are, don't, aren't necessary anymore. And so, so it's been fulfilled. It's, it, that, the time of that has passed. All right, so we've done context, made a bunch of observations today. Um, let's move on to meditation 
And for meditation, I just want to read a few verses and then uh, ask everybody to think about it. Once again, meditation is the point in the comma method where we just stop, we stop reading, and we start praying, and we start asking the Spirit of God to help us understand what we're reading and to speak to us. Um, and so it is, uh, we often say it's prayerful pondering. Um, so we do 45 seconds of this in the podcast. Let me read these verses and then cue it up for you. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. All of us have been invited into this story. We've been invited into the family of God. So here is uh, meditation for, for all of us today. Is there a category of Christ followers that you struggle with, whether it's their race or their culture or their personality type? Is, is there a group of people that you have not been living in unity with um, that maybe the Holy Spirit would, would point out to you? Um, so let's take 45 seconds and meditate on that question. All right, so we are moving on to message now, and I already queued up the meditation, which whenever we do that on the podcast, it kind of just narrows down the message, doesn't it? So um, unity and diversity, being invited into this grand story. Uh, all of us have entered the story at uh, different points of time and in different ways, but all of it through the cross of Jesus and what has been offered to us through Jesus Christ. Um, so it's probably somewhere in that category. I'm guessing what's in your guys' hearts and minds, but what do you got for a message? I, uh, I would say it this way, if Jesus is our peace, then I don't have to make you conform to my culture for us to be united. That if he's the basis of it, if he's the reason, I don't have to force you to be like me for us to be together. Um, I said, uh, Jesus is the promise that brought us, and I highlighted us, peace. Um, it's just this idea that he is the one that brought us all together, you know, at the end of the day. He's our common ground. He's the cornerstone. My message is of all the organizations on the planet that are trying to figure out unity and diversity, I think it's the Church of Jesus Christ that has the only shot, the only shot to do it the way that God intended. So uh, thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness and inviting us into the story. And Nikki, take us home. 
All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to us this week. I hope that you join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. And in the meantime, if you are not following along, please go to BibleSavvy.com, download it, start reading along with us. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. And if you're on Twitter, you can look us up there for additional Bible Savvy insights. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.